I don't know, Dave will take care, to, care of it if you can't, so, right, Dave? All right, you have to forgive me a little bit. I'm working through a little bit of a sinus thing, so if I'm hacking through this message, I'm sorry. Uh, just forgive me a little bit. But I love coming into community on Sunday mornings, getting to come here, see a lot of uh, friendly faces that I know, meet new people, um, just get to share a little bit about my story throughout the week or, or throughout my life, get to hear a little bit about your guys' story. Community within God's church is an awesome thing. I love pouring into that. But I got to say, you guys look a lot more intimidating when I'm standing up here <clears throat> than when I'm down there. Usually I'm sitting on the same playing field as Travis Garrett. Now I have his, don't look at me weird, now I have his strong body staring at me. So forgive me if I get a little nervous through this. Um, but we've been working through marriage, and we're doing a four-week mini-series on marriage. I'm doing week three. It's been awesome to see how God has really um, kind of planned these marriages. Matt and I didn't sit down together and, and think through what we were going to say. Um, so God's really been moving in these marriages, and it's just been really neat to see um, just the ways that he has crafted these messages. So today we have some really cool things that we're going to be talking about, some hard things. Uh, the last two weeks, though, I want to go back over that just really quickly. Um, the, la the first week we were talking about security in marriage, finding our security in Christ alone. If we're walking through our marriages trying to find security in our spouse or in worldly things, futile things, our marriages are not going to go well. They're going to plummet very quickly. Um, so go back and look at that message. Last week we talked about being assertive in our marriages, being assertive in a godly way in our marriages, which is very important. So go back and, and listen to that too. Today we're talking about selflessness in marriage. Uh, so the umbrella that we're going to be going under is selflessness, and we're going to be looking at it through the perspectives of communication and expectations. Two fairly challenging things in marriage, communication and expectations. So let's dive into this, um, and then we'll, we'll see what God has for us. First, I want to define communication. So it's defined as the imparting or the exchange of information or news. It's the sharing, the sending, or the conveying of messages from one to another. Okay, it's even the sending of verbal and even nonverbal thoughts, ideas, and desires. We communicate each and every, every day. So much of our lives are built around communication, but I, I, I guarantee some of you have even communicated more today than you think you have. So if you have an iPhone, pull it out. If you have an Android, I'm sorry, I don't know how to work your phones. Um, but if you have an iPhone, pull it out. Go to the home screen and slide all the way to the right. Push all your screens to the right. You're going to see a bar graph. Click on that bar graph. Go down to Messages. Now on the top of that, you'll see how much time you've spent in this Messages app today. And usually that's through the form of text messages, things like that. I don't know everything that goes into this app, but usually it's text messages. Um, things of that nature. Who has more than 10 minutes on their, in their messages app today? <laughs> we have one honest person. Does anybody have more than 15? Now's your time to be honest. <laughs> Greg has more than 15 minutes. So if communication is something that comes so naturally to us, why is communicating in marriage so challenging? Okay, why do we see so many marriages struggling because of communication problems? Yeah, the truth is we can, we can sit and we can talk with our spouses all day long, but not even begin to touch the surface of what we need in communication. 
Okay, we can sit on the couch and we can talk. We can look each other in the eyes and we can talk. We can sit around the dinner table if we don't have kids and we can talk to each other. We can sit in bed before we fall asleep and talk. But if the exchange of our words is like exchanging pennies, then we're not even scratching the surface of how God calls us to communicate in our marriages. So I want to look at some scriptures and uh, just begin forming some thoughts around communication and, and some godly communication. These three verses up here, I might be blocking the view for some of you, but these three verses up here are kind of what we're going to be referencing today. We're not going to post the actual scripture up there, but you guys will be able to flip to those. Um, so I'll just call those out as we uh, get ready to tackle them, and then we'll talk about them. So the first one we're going to be looking at is Colossians. So go ahead and flip there. Colossians 4, verse 6. Uh, in this, Paul's encouraging the church to uh, really uh, examine their speech. And so we're going to look at this through the lens of speech. Colossians 4, 6 says this, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Now I want to take a, a magnifying glass and just kind of hover over the first portion of this, this text first. It says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. A seasoned with salt, when I was trying to prepare this, was something that's interesting to me. I don't think of salt as being something that's sweet or gracious. Okay, what are some words, um, if I was to call on you guys, what are some words that you guys would use to describe salt, the flavor of salt? Just blurt a few out. Salty. Salty. Wow, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> Who, what? Savory? Bitter. Savory. Bitter. Yeah, I kind of thought of harsh, things like that. So salt is very good used as a spice or a flavor enhancer, and it really keeps you going back for more. But I don't think one would eat salt by itself. Okay, like I do with a, a jar of Skippy Super Chunk. You take that lid off and you start eating that with a spoon. You don't do that with salt. Okay, so for Paul to use these words, it was a little confusing to me. Okay, I've even used the word saltiness when I uh, think of my kids coming down from a nap. They're hangry. They're argumentative. Whatever it may be, I'm like, wow, she has a salty spirit today, or he is just really salty. So when we look at this verse in Colossians, <clears throat> it's important to uh, kind of think about uh, the, um, the importance of this word as Paul knew it to be back then. So salt back then, when Paul was writing this, was used primarily as a preservative. Okay? They didn't have the refrigerator systems that we have today. So they had to use copious amounts of salt to preserve their meats and their foods. So it was primarily used as a preservative. Because they had to use so much of it, you could actually go do a full day's work and expect to be paid in the form of salt. Okay, salt was also used as a currency back then. In fact, the, root word, or the, the word salary actually comes from the root word of salt. But the important thing here that Paul's getting after, or the meaning that's important is salt was used primarily as a preservative. So when Paul tells the Colossians in the scripture to speak with grace and to season their words with salt, he's getting after a couple things. He's, he's saying as believers, make sure your speech is thick with grace. Okay, that one's kind of easy to understand, but then it's also working to preserve that salt's being applied, preserve and reflect the truths of the gospel. Okay, we need to be speaking from a heart that has spent time wrestling in God's promises, okay, be speaking from a heart that has spent time immersed in the scriptures and in God's word, and from there, our hearts will begin preserving the truths of the gospel in our speech, 
in our marriages. So as we walk through challenging times with our spouses, as we uh, have discussions or disagreements and work through the emotions within those things, we need to be working as a couple to make sure that we're seeking after the truths of the gospel and that we're working to preserve uh, the truths of the gospel in our speech. We need to be making sure that the gospel is flowing from the actions of our hearts and the words of our mouth uh, as we talk with each other. I read a book called A Lifelong Love by Gary Thomas. So he writes a lot of good books, um, but this is one I've read recently. And in this, he paints a picture using the truth that your spouse, your husband, is a son of God. Okay? He also uses the truth that your wife is a daughter of God, making God like your father-in-law. Okay? So the words that I use when I'm talking to my wife, God's daughter, need to be an encouragement to her, pushing her into the loving arms of her father. Okay? Now, I'm not saying there won't be times where my words aren't going to be hard to hear. Okay? Maybe God's moving inside of me to share something hard with her. He might be moving inside of her to share something hard with me. Okay, these, the, we all know these are going to be hard words to hear. They may take some time to process, but isn't that part of loving each other and leading each other well, following God's leading in that? And what Paul is saying is in these times, our words must be thick with grace, and they must work to preserve the truths of the gospel. So as far as the grace goes, think about it this way. Uh, our, the words that we speak with our spouse when we're in conflict or just everyday life, those words need to pass through a grace filter. Okay, but what is this? Okay, every car in this parking lot, I'm guessing every car in that parking lot has an oil filter. And it has it for a reason. It's so any pollutants that get in the oil don't make it into the engine and negatively affect the engine, right? So our words, when they come out of our mouth, they need to pass through a grace filter. But where do we buy this? Okay, I challenge somebody, go to Walmart and ask for a grace filter. Okay, I really would like to know what they say about that. They're probably going to laugh at you. Um, but the truth is you can't buy it. You can't go to Walmart, you can't go on Amazon, you can't go to O'Reilly's and buy a grace filter. Okay, this filter is only obtained as you allow God to come in and transform your heart. Okay, God is the only master crafter here who can give this to you and it's only obtained as you open up your scripture, you open up your word, and you spend time in his promises, as you spend time in his truth. As you spend time meditating on his goodness and his attributes, as you learn about him, this is where your heart begins softening and you begin acquiring this grace filter. Matthew uh, twelve thirty four says, For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Our hearts are our grace filters. Lastly, in this text, if you look back at your, your Bibles in Colossians, Paul says, always, no exceptions, always speak with grace and season your words with salt, making sure that your words are upholding the gospel and pointing those around you to God's redemptive grace. So flipping over to Ephesians now, flip a few pages. Ephesians 4.29 is what we're going to be looking at. Uh, in this, Paul says, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, so that it gives, what? Somebody say it. Grace. So that it gives grace to those who hear. I'll sound a little repetitive, but how do we do this if we're not earnestly allowing our heart's eyes to be cast towards our Father each and every day? Okay, how can words that, that work to build up and support my wife come from a heart that's been polluted with selfishness, that's continually seeking 
after futile things? Okay, how can I be tuned in to what God has for my wife through my words if I'm not actively praying over those words every day? If I don't actively pray over my heart, pray over her heart, the way that she's going to receive those words? Okay, communication in marriage is it's much more than surface-level text. Okay, communication that points your spouse towards Christ and glorifies his, his name is much more than a random comment of how is your day. Okay, communication, we all know it's hard at times. It's hard to hear, it's hard to give, but communication that's given and received through a prayerful heart is communication that will always point your spouse towards Christ. Okay, and that is the kind of communication that God is calling us to in our marriages. I want to take you back in time for a minute. This is a little embarrassing, but I'll share this story with you. And I wish so badly Paul had been there during this story. I was traveling with my wife. We were coming back from somewhere, um, but it was in the holidays, so we were discussing holiday plans, and we were having conflict over this, which I'm sure is nothing that you guys have ever had conflict over, right? Okay, Helene, it might just be us. I don't know. So we were having conflict as we were driving, and we're driving in this little white car she used to have. Um, It was a little Toyota Corolla. It looked oddly like a marshmallow. So I'm sitting in there, something like this, trying to drive. Only I wasn't smiling, okay? The, The tension was thick. The conflict was heavy. I'm trying to communicate my emotions through silence, and she's doing the same thing, which isn't working, all right? We get going down the road, and I have the bright idea to say, Helene, when you're ready to talk, I'm ready to listen, which (laughs) you guys can imagine how that went. She still sat there silent. So we get back home. I decide to communicate more on my emotions. So I open the dishwasher, grab the plates, put them in the cupboard, slam the doors, do the same thing with the silverware, slam the drawers, and the conflict continues a little bit. Thankfully, the conflict was broken that night through her very loud voice, but we were able to resolve the conflict and have some communication. Okay, but I wish so badly that Paul had been standing there or been sitting there with us in that Corolla because he could have said, Ryan, you're being so selfish, so foolish. He could have helped me understand that the hurts that I had, the feelings I was having, the expectations that I felt like they were going unmet, they were unheard, they were being disregarded. He could have helped me understand that they were all coming from a place of selfishness, pridefulness, conceit. Okay, in that conversation or, or the lack of speech in that conversation, whatever it was, I wanted my opinions known and I wanted to win that conflict for the sole satisfaction of being right. And that's not okay in our marriages. That's not glorifying to God. Okay, we've been talking about communication, but I want to bring expectations into this because they work hand in hand. If we're not communicating our expectations, things are not going to go well. So we're going to look at Philippians real quick. Um, Paul in Philippians, he's imprisoned. In the text that I'm going to read, it's not Philippians 2 yet. You can flip there. Um, But in this text, in chapter 1, he's he's working to promote unity within the church and the body of believers. So in chapter 1, he says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So in this, Paul's encouraging the Philippians church in two things. He's saying, one, stay together as one body without being fragmented or fractionalized. And two, stay together for the faith of the gospel. 
He's suggesting that their unity needs to be put to a productive purpose to promote the good news of Jesus Christ. And that same unity that Paul's encouraging the church with is the same unity that God wants in our marriages. He's designed our marriages to be unified for his glory, to promote his glory and his perfection and goodness. So in that story I mentioned, the expectations I had in the topic, or for the topic we're discussing, I said I felt like those expectations were disregarded, they might have gone unheard, they were unmet, and that left me feeling very hurt and upset. Okay, we all have expectations in our marriages, and some of them point us to a place of unity, but oftentimes when they go unmet, they drop this huge wedge in the middle of this unified body of oneness that God has for our marriages, and so often that can happen just in the blink of an eye before we even know it. So with this teaching of unity and expectations, I want to look a little further in Philippians at Paul's letter here. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So all of us in marriage and our singleness in our friendships, we all have expectations. Okay, you can't avoid that. But it's what those expectations are aligned with that matters. Okay, it's the position of our hearts when we're forming those expectations that matters. And Paul's saying, for a place of unity in our marriage, there is no room for selfishness. For a place of unity in our marriage, there's no room for selfishness. Now, I hope I'm not the only one here today who finds that challenging. Okay, uh, one t- at one point, it might be expectations that I form around sex. Okay? The next day, it might be expectations that I form around finances. How many of us allow ourselves to spend money on the small things at will, but then when we find out our spouse is doing it, we have ill thoughts about it? Okay, the next day, it might be expectations I form around spending time with my wife. I might have worked all day long expecting to spend time with her at night, but never did I ever consider what her energy level is as she's taking care of the kids all day long. I come home wanting to spend time with her, but never did I consider what her energy level is. So, so many of the expectations that I form in my marriage is formed through selfishness. I think Paul can understand this because he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but then he gives us the answer to fight through that. He says, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. I think you can also read this, uh, but through humility, with humility, clothed in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. The problem is, having a heart posture of humility can also be equally as challenging as not being selfish, right? Carrying a heart posture of humility is challenging. As much as I love my wife, thinking about her interests and putting those above my own is challenging. It's challenging with as much as I love her to sometimes sit and have a 30-minute conversation with her even though I know she will feel more loved and we will feel more closely connected. It's not always easy for me to look out for the interests of Helene and put those above my own, but Paul is saying to take a true posture of humility when we're forming our interests and our expectations. And he's suggesting that we really look at our lives evaluate our hearts, evaluate what's going on in our spouse's lives, and with a a heart posture of humility, put their interests above our own. So as I thought about this, uh, how challenging this can be, I kind of thought of 
three words, and they're all heart posture. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down these three words and draw a heart around them. It's gratitude, love, and patience. Gratitude, love, and patience. We'll talk about these, and then we'll work to, to kind of wrap things up here. But gratitude, with gratitude, are my expectations that I'm forming for my wife formed through a heart of gratitude? Okay, we first have to think, what are we grateful for? What are we grateful for? We're grateful for God's mercy that withholds the punishments that we deserve. We're grateful for his grace that gives us what we don't deserve. Okay, we're thankful for his goodness, his faithfulness, and his love, and I can go on and on, but to develop a true understanding of why we're grateful, why our hearts should be grateful, I want to ask you guys, when is the last time you've just opened up your Bible and immersed yourself in his word, allowing his spirit to speak with you? When is the last time you spent time just dwelling on his attributes, learning more about him and allowing those things to change your heart? See, as we reflect on the sacrifices that God displayed in crucifying his son and the faithfulness of Jesus in this, from that position our hearts begin softening and a posture of gratitude begins forming our expectations and our thoughts. Psalm says, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. So when our hearts have spent time in the presence uh, of God meditating on him, this is where we find expectations that are aligned with God's will for our marriages. Okay, and this is where we find expectations that really push us together to a place of unity. The expectations we form and, and even the reactions we give to unmet expectations all need to be centered around a heart of gratitude because our hearts are continually grateful for God's mercy, his love, his grace, his faithfulness, his sovereignty. Okay, we could go on and on with that list. The expectations I had in the marshmallow were not formed through a heart of gratitude. How about love? This should be easy. Love, marriage is full of love, right? I seem to miss the boat so, so regularly on this. Ephesians 1 tells us that before the foundation of the world, God set his love on us. Okay, Paul in Romans tells us that God's love was poured into our hearts. He doesn't say it was just sprinkled. He says it was poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. As we read scripture, we can see God's steadfast love all over the place. Through his perfect love, God creates covenants in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it, sends, it compels him to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. We can see his love and his patience, his mercy, and his grace. And we, I think we have to understand that as children of God, as his elect, as his masterpieces, we are designed, we're created and designed to reflect his love to those around us. Okay, our marriages were created and designed to reflect his love to those around us. The heart of it, we're made to love God and to love others. And the love we extend to our spouse when we're forming our expectations or we're reacting to unmet expectations, this love needs to come from a heart that has spent time humbly bowing before the one who is the true definition of love. And how about patience? Are my expectations and my reactions to unmet expectations being formed through a heart of patience? Patience is not easily obtained in today's society, okay? We don't live in a patient culture right now. I don't know if we have for quite some time. I was at Walmart the other day, and I went in for a printer cartridge. I was with my two boys. I walked out forgetting the printer cartridge because I got busy spending save money. I don't know if anybody else has that problem. 
But I walked out without the printer cartridge. I had the two boys with me, so I wasn't going back into Walmart. So I got on Amazon, ordered one, and I had one on my doorstep six hours later. Okay, six hours later. We don't live in a society where patience is easily obtained. A lack of patience is so, so easy to obtain today, but that does not reflect patience as God knows it or as God is. Okay, the scriptures are filled with the pronouncement of God's patience. From his patience from the days of Noah to, to even the long suffering with the people of Israel, God's interactions with sinners is marked with his patience. Psalms 86 says, But you, Lord, you're compassionate and you're gracious. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in faithful love and truth. So why is God slow to anger? Why is he so slow to anger? Because he's a sovereign God, and with this, he's a perfect form of patience. Okay, our lives, as we spend time with God and in his sovereignty, our lives should be characterized by his patience. Now, it's not uncommon for me to feel bitter when my expectations go unmet. Okay, it's not uncommon for me to harden my heart at that time. But I need to understand that as I spend time in God's sovereignty and in, in his presence, as I stumble and fail, I need to be reminded that God is still patient. Okay, his patience is my strength. He is patient because he is in utter control. Okay, his patience flows to his children like an ever-present stream. So let your thoughts and your expectations and your reactions to, to unmet expectations be characterized by what Psalm says, with compassion, with love, with mercy, with grace and patience. Now, we've been talking about a lot of different things, communication and, and expectations through the umbrella of selflessness. Okay, we've talked about uh, communication that is... Um, thick with grace that's really working to preserve the truths of the gospel. We've talked about having a, a heart that's forming expectations that's selfless, a heart of humility as we're forming our expectations, as we're reacting to unmet expectations, forming expectations through a heart of gratitude, a heart of love, and a heart of patience. And I want to close this message out uh, by looking at one additional scripture here. It's going to be in Colossians. The band, you can come. It's going to be in Colossians 3. We'll end up posting this on the board here in just a second so you guys can see it. So in Colossians 3, Paul's speaking about being raised with Christ. Okay, he's talking about taking off your old ways and your old attributes. He says, Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, your evil desires, your greed, your lust, your idolatry. It says, take those off. Those are the things that cause us so easily to use harsh words in our marriages or in, in communication. Those are the things that cause us to create selfish and demanding expectations. And in this, Paul is saying, take them off. Okay, they don't belong to you. As children of God, take them off and surrender them. So in verse 12, you'll see it behind me. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen ones who are holy and dearly loved, Put on compassion, grab kindness, humility, clothe yourself in gentleness, in patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if there are grievances between you. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we are God's chosen who are holy and dearly loved. My wife, 
Your spouse is God's chosen, who is holy and dearly loved. The words I use when I support my wife or when I'm talking with my wife should be pleasing and glorifying to God. The words you guys use when you're talking to your spouse should be pleasing and glorifying to God. The expectations we form in our marriages should be created out of a humble heart that's working to build your spouse up. Okay, and I'll be the first to say this is not always easy. We all know it's not easy. Okay, but God's goodness, his faithfulness, his grace, his love, they're never ceasing. His attributes are always there for us. Okay, God is always there over our marriages. So what I want us to do this week is to spend some time just marveling in his attributes. Open up your Bible and allow his spirit to speak through you or to you through his word. Okay, study him, study God, and then do something. Just allow him to work in your marriage. Watch him work in your marriage as you spend time this week studying God in your word. Allow him and watch him to work in your marriage. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for your spirit that's just alive in your word, your spirit that's moving in our hearts today, your spirit that's moving in our marriages, God. I thank you so much for giving us the gift of marriage. God, it's challenging at times. It's challenging for all of us in different ways. There might be some marriages here who are completely struggling. They feel like failing. God, there's marriages here who feel like they're thriving, but God, you're in control of all of those marriages, and I thank you for giving us this gift. God, it's another avenue for our hearts to draw more closely in line with yours. And I pray that this week, that as we go through this week, that individually we will, we will cast our eyes upon you, God. That our heart's eyes will be cast towards you. God, teach us about marriage. Teach us how you want us to do marriage, God, so that we can glorify your name. God, if there's anybody here today who first needs to just surrender their life to you, surrender their heart to you, God, I pray that your mighty arms will just wrap around them and they will feel your presence in a new way today, God, and that they will surrender their heart to you. If there's anybody who needs to surrender their marriage, that they will do the same thing, God. God, I thank you for your goodness and your, your sovereignty, God. We lift up the marriages in this room, God, and I pray that you would just move in mighty ways in our marriages. God, move us out of the way. Move us out of the way, God, so we can bring glory to your name. It's in your name, amen.